episode 129, Forbidden Fruit. I'm assistant curator Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a March 23rd, 2011 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. are the fruit of legend. From the Garden of Eden to the Trojan War, apples have shaped mankind. Join curator Laurel Fritsch and me as we examine bottles of apple cider from Lewisburg, Kansas. Did the legendary Johnny Appleseed once roam through this town and plant an orchard that still bears fruit today? And find out what happens when apples go bad. Listen as the crowd would sing. Then we go behind the scenes with the Kansas Historical Society Story Booth. As part of the 150th anniversary of Kansas, visitors tell us what they love about the Sunflower State. Find out why frightening tornadoes and blizzards tend to rank so high. Finally, in Six Degrees of William Allen White, we examine the love interest of Kansas's most powerful son when we connect William Allen White, a small-town newspaper editor from Emporia, Kansas, to Lois Lane, girlfriend of Superman. Did White encourage Superman creators to change Lois from a damsel in distress to a super reporter? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, forbidden fruit. It was the wicked and wild wind blew down the doors to let me in. Shattered windows. Good afternoon, Laurel. Good afternoon. Today we are discussing um, some glass bottles from the Lewis Lewisburg Cider Mills, uh, which is located in southeast Kansas. Uh, there is a four-pack of green glass apple juice bottles, and a giant uh, moonshine-looking <laughs> tub uh, or a, a large bottle for apple cider. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first, Laurel, before we talk about the cider mill, let's just get some terminology out of the way. Okay. What exactly is the difference between apple juice, applesauce, cider, and hard cider? Okay. Um, well, I think I'll start with apple sauce, um, which is basically just sort of an apple puree. So it's pretty much the whole apple ground up to a nice, fine, pulpy puree. Mm-hmm. She's still going to have like even maybe some chunks in it. Or it's like uh, yeah, okay, exactly. Um, well, apple juice is different than that because it's made from pressing the apples, and um, it's non-alcoholic. It's often quite sweet. And it's, it's filtered in order to remove all of that pulpy, solid mm-hmm. type of material. And it's also pasteurized so that it can stay on the shelf for a pretty long time before you pull it off, crack the seal, and um, open it up. Now, that's different from apple cider. And apple cider is unfiltered, so sometimes it has kind of a, a cloudy kind of an mm-hmm. appearance to it. got some things it. floating in it. Right. And it's unpasteurized, so usually you have to drink it fairly quickly. Mm. It's typically unsweetened, and I might add that it's also non-alcoholic. Okay. Um, but it is also 
made from pressing the apples, not necessarily pureeing. So you're not grinding up a whole apple. Right, that's correct. And um, then finally, hard apple cider is also from pressing the apples, but it's unfiltered and it's allowed to ferment. And it's the fermentation process of it that turns it into alcohol. Right. So hard cider, the hard is the indicator that yeah, it's uh, it's it's hard alcohol. It is. It's hard alcohol. Uh, though today we frequently use the phrase "as American as apple pie," uh, the truth is apples are not necessarily American. Um, they're from Central Asia. Mm. Uh, how did apples end up in Lewisburg, Kansas? Well, that's a good question, and um, apples have an incredibly long history, and sort of it's your standard immigration story. Um, people who had they apples, over on a boat. they yeah, they could have done boats, they could have done horses, anything. Um, but you know, you have a, a tasty snack because you're going on a journey. You, you know, you pop it in your backpack, you eat it, and you know you've got this course. So you you ditch it, you throw it. Um, so as people migrated all the way across. Europe and Africa and everywhere else you can imagine, um, they sort of spread apples along with them. Um, But in terms of them making it over to North America, it was British immigrants primarily who introduced different kinds of apple varieties to North America during the colonial era. And uh, one of those varieties was specifically good for making cider. Once those were introduced sort of to the eastern coast, then that sort of brings in the the legend of Johnny Appleseed. Mm. And so the legend behind that is just that he traveled westward spreading apple seeds as he went. Um, and, you know, really that's just part of the larger story of settlers who continued to just migrate westward. Um, and one of the western locations where they planted these kinds of apple trees was Lewisburg, Kansas. It was pretty good for, it had a pretty good climate for growing that particular kind of apple. And a fruit farm and nursery was operating in just southwest of present day Lewisburg, really as early as the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. So, quite a long time ago already, Lewisburg was getting sort of fairly well-known for being able to make nice apple cider. Uh, like you ta- like you said, the uh, story of Johnny Appleseed is well-known. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of a, uh, in popular culture, he's kind of depic- depicted as a barefoot uh, country boy that traveled the frontier throwing apple seeds everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's often wearing rags, and uh, he's got a stove pot for a hat. <laughs> Not sure why, but he's got a pot for a hat. Um Johnny appeared kind of like the love child of a redneck and uh, sort of an eco hippie. <laughs> uh, who is the real Johnny Appleseed? And because he because he was a real person. Yes. And did he impact apples in Kansas? That's a good question. Um, and Johnny Appleseed, he was actually named John Chapman, and he was born in Massachusetts in 1774. So, you know, just around this sort of revolutionary period. Mm-hmm. And um, when he was a teenager, he was apprentice to a man who had some apple orchards. And then as an adult, he went on to um, become a missionary for something called the New Church. And during this time period in U.S. history, there were lots of small, little, different kinds of sects of religions that were growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, this was one of them. And he traveled west of Massachusetts as an itinerant preacher. And to sort of supplement his income, he planted seeds, um, apple trees along the way. 
and he was really the first person to introduce apple trees to large parts of Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois. So he didn't necessarily make it as far as Kansas,、um, but definitely he impacted that area a lot.、Mm-hmm. Um, and as you had mentioned, the popular image is of Johnny Appleseed just sort of throwing his seeds randomly as、right. he walks along.、Um, But in actuality, what he would do is plant little nurseries rather than at like a full orchard or just randomly scattering seeds. And what he would do is he'd build little fences around these little trees in order to protect them from getting eaten by animals or something like that. And he would leave these little trees in the care of a neighbor, who would then sell these little baby trees to other people on his behalf. And he then he would come back every couple of years or so and collect his earnings. So not not a, a shabby system. Interesting.、Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it was like us. I mean, really, he was more of a preacher, and this was kind of a supplementary income. Yeah, was the, was the tree nursery business.、Yeah. And he was very fortunate in that he actually gained fame during his own lifetime.、Um, really, mostly because he was known for being very kind and very generous,、um, but also for taking this sort of lead in、um, uh, conserving our landscape and developing the landscape. So he was、I、kind of a, he was a kind of, a kind of early environmentalist. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think your、um, eco hippie.、Um, <laughs> It's not too far off. Yes,、yeah, too didn't, far. He didn't really have a pot on his head, did he? I would hope not. I、uh, mean, I don't that's just, hot. That would、know? be hot. I mean, it would protect your head,、sure. I guess. But really, this this cider was made at the Lewisburg Mill.、Mm-hmm. Who started that mill, and how long has it been around? Well, the mill was started by a couple named Tom and Shelley Shireman. And they really continue the long tradition of apple cider production at this Lewisburg cider mill. Because,、um, as I had mentioned earlier, there had already been a mill、um, at in Lewisburg before、mm-hmm. them.、Um, and really, they've been bottling apple cider since the fall of 1977. So, not terribly long ago. So, 1977, they took over and a mill that was already established and running. No, not no, not exactly.、Um, the Older facilities、um, had, you know, long since gone and died away,、um, mm-hmm. but the orchards still remained.、Uh, so it was more that the Shiremans had an old hay barn on their property, and so what they did was they outfitted that with then sort of a mill with a cider press to press those apples. And so then they went out and they collected the apples on their farm. They had about eight. They have about eighty acres. And so then they just started off by just selling it from the back of their barn、um, from a giant bulk tank and a spigot.、Um, but then after that, you know, it really took off. So they were able to purchase a neighbor's barn, and they moved that entire they moved barn. barn. They moved the entire、right. barn onto their property right next to the mill, and they converted that into a store so that they could really sort of get a, a bigger operation up and going. More than just a tasty fruit, apples have been the central element at watershed events in human history.、Mm. Uh, for example, Eve picked an apple from the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. And Prince Paris of Troy awarded an apple to Aphrodite,、uh, thus igniting the Trojan War.、Mm-hmm. So, Laurel, in your opinion, why why is the apple a gift that you should just never give?、Uh, that that is a good question,、um, and you've given two really good examples.、Um, 
But I guess maybe for me, um, if I was given a gift of an apple, I, I think I'd be a little nervous about it um, because it could potentially be poisoned, like right, Snow White. Like Snow White, also bad apple. Yeah, um, like that whole phrase, bad apple. Exactly. Although I have to admit that just falling asleep and then waking up to be, you know, kissed by a handsome prince wouldn't be too bad. Mm -hmm. um, I would imagine you probably couldn't be guaranteed that. Mm. Um, so I think that, the, and then there's the whole Halloween thing too about poisoned apples and stuff like that. And I suppose you could always get a worm. Yeah, that probably wouldn't be very good. No, but mm -hmm. it's just it's it's interesting that apple kind of apple is like the quintessential, you know, almost sort of uh, poisoned fruit or like it's something that's intended to be sweet but has a dark side to it. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. All right, Laura. Well, thanks for telling us about the Lewisburg Cider Mills. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. Hi, I'm Laurel, and I'm here with the Kansas quiz question for this week. Ten years ago, in 2001, Kansas produced how many million pounds of apples? Was it A... 1.3 million, B, 2.2 million, or C, 2.6 million. I'll be back in a second with the answer. To commemorate the 150th anniversary of Kansas, the museum opened the exhibit, 150 Things I Love About Kansas. Some of the best parts of Kansas can't be placed in an exhibit, though. Using the Historical Society's story booth, we asked you to tell us what you love about Kansas. For many, it was the land itself that inspired the most passion. Whether it was a flat, endless horizon, dark, ominous thunderclouds, or a gridlocking blizzard, the Kansas landscape is a touchstone of emotion. Hi, I'm Ashley, and what I really like about Kansas is the prairie. And um, I love going out to walk in it and all the different flowers and tall grasses. I just think it's really cool, and it's unique to Kansas anymore. Well, I guess certain other places too, but mostly in Kansas. And it's, it's really beautiful to stand out there in the prairie with the big blue sky overhead. It's probably one of the most relaxing, beautiful places in all of nature, and I love that about Kansas. Hello, I'm from originally from western Kansas, and I love the openness of the prairie. I love the expanse of the earth and the sky. I love to be able to look out and see forever. Uh, no hills, no trees. Um, I love that environment. Uh, it's in my blood, my bones, my DNA. And I will always be a part of that. What I love about Kansas, the weather, because it, it snows and rains, and it cancels school, and I get to play in the snow. Though the days of the Wild West are gone, many identified a unique Kansas character, instilled with the frontier spirit that's passed down from generation to generation. Hi there. I'm Shelly and this is Chance. Chance is three and a half years old and I have been a lifelong Kansan as has Chance. 
and we have lived in Topeka, Kansas all our lives, but we have relatives um, that have lived in Kansas since the 1880s, and we have three families that have their heritage in Kansas. I'm a fourth generation Kansan, and Chance is a sixth generation Kansan. So we're very happy to be here, and we like learning about the history of Kansas and the people and what makes Kansas the um, state that produces so much wheat and other valuable crops for sharing with the world. And hopefully Chance will learn more about farming, so maybe he can be a farmer on the family farm. I'm Todd Keefover. I'm India Keefover. Uh, what I love the most about Kansas are, is the endless horizon and the wonderful and beautiful thing that are the seasons we have here in Kansas. And uh, one of the other things he loves uh, that he shared with me um, were the Flint Hills at sunset. And Those two. Uh, we met while he was studying abroad and I was on a scholarship teaching abroad in Austria and as a sixth generation Georgian it was going to be hard for me to leave my family uh, to come to Kansas but um, I too fell in love with the Flint Hills at sunset and the, the feeling of family and the deep roots that are here, um, the frontier spirit it's just so strong in the people that live here and is generational. It, it lives on in the young adults and families that live on today. Perhaps no one can assess Kansas better than the non-native. Hi, uh, my name is Greg Dar. Uh, I am not from Kansas, but from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, but I travel here to Kansas uh, often on business. And what I love about Kansas are its people. Uh, the extraordinary warmth, friendliness, and hospitality that's been extended to me, a stranger, has been something that I treasure from my visits here to Kansas. Uh, Kansans are rightly proud of their state, uh, but what I love about Kansas is the great sense of humor that people have as well, and uh, the way they are willing to so generously share their stories of their lives here and their state. What I also like is in between visits, I can take time to travel the back roads, uh, to park my car along the side of a country road, and to enjoy the tremendous drama of sky and land, uh, the, the drift of clouds over a wide uh, expanse of sky, the, the wave of the wheat in the field as the wind comes through, uh, and the lingering but fiery sunsets uh, that I've enjoyed uh, well uh, late into the evening. And so these are things that I will always treasure about my visits here to Kansas. Perhaps little Jensky Cameron from Milligan, Nebraska, best summed up the superior qualities of Kansas. This I love Kansas because it's where my grandma and grandpa live, and I love to come and visit them. The world has Bye. Done and left me here to swear I
I'm back with the answer to today's Kansas quiz question. Ten years ago, in 2001, Kansas produced how many million pounds of apples? Was it A, 1.3 million, B, 2.2 million, or C, 2.6 million? The answer is B, 2.2 million. In 2001, Kansas produced 2.2 million pounds of apples. That ranked them the 33rd second state in apple production in the United States. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Alla White. Joining me today is registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hello. And ex- exhibits designer Chris Prouty. Hello. Today we connect William Alla White to Lois Lane, a determined journalist that was also the girlfriend of Superman. Before we get started, Chris, you want to give us a little background on Miss Lane? Sure. Uh, Lois Joanne Lane Kent was the daughter of Ellen and General Samuel Lane. Strongly influenced by her authoritarian father, Lane was an army brat with knowledge of martial arts. What? Yeah, she later embraced journalism and worked at the prestigious Metropolis Daily Planet, where she was partnered with the less experienced Kansas farm boy turned journalist Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Yep. The two fell in love and eventually married. Lane was awarded a Pulitzer Prize for her writing. Wow. (laughs) In reality, Lane was the 1938 product of Superman creators Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Created as Superman's love interest, originally Lane's primary role was to be the damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. But she evolved into the fearless reporter. Much mm-hmm. more likable. Right. Indeed. You gotta have something you always had to have somebody in peril. <laughs> so instead of being the, the kind of dumb damsel in distress, she became the person that's willing to jump into any situation. Yeah, the stronger woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the evolution that. of the stronger woman. Uh, her physical appearance was based on Joanne Siegel, the girlfriend and future wife of creator Jerry Siegel. You notice the middle Lois Lane's middle name? Joanne. Joanne. <laughs> uh. I didn't even know about about the middle name. Yeah. <laughs> um, many actresses have per- portrayed Lois Lane to include Margot Kidder, Terry Hatcher, and Dana Delaney. Mm. So, Chris, well, who's your favorite? Uh, who's your favorite Lois Lane? Do you have one? I like Margot Kidder. I, mm-hmm. you know, she's kind of spunky, uh, cute, and uh, she was kind of wild off-screen too. She has a very entertaining personality, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, that shows, I think, in her portrayal of, of Lois. Well, I think it's funny. The biggest uh, uh, kind of the biggest complaint against Lois Lane is that, you know, on one hand, she is like this, uh, you know, quite brilliant, fearless reporter. But on the other hand, a fearless investigative reporter. But on the other hand, she can never quite figure out that the only difference between (laughs) Superman and Clark Kent is a pair of glasses. I know. It's not that good a disguise. (laughs) Come on. All right, Chris. Well, thanks for the background. Uh, Now we're going to get down to the game. And this week we're trying it. We're going to do it a little bit different. We're actually kind of turning it into a game. And you're going to be the contestant. All right. So Chris. Oh, I know. Here we go. uh, So... We're each going to give you a possible six degrees of six degrees of William Allen White, so a series of a series of connection between mm-hmm. Lois Lois Lane and and White, and you have to pick one. Which one is the correct one? All right, <laughs> all right. Uh, so we'll start out with Nikayla. Let's hear your solution. 
Okay, well, this could have been a lot shorter if I knew that Lois Lane won a Pulitzer. Consider what you're on. Just to be clear, and that's actually my solution. Just to be clear, she didn't actually win one because she's a fictional, what? She's a fictional <laughs> character. Okay, well, here's my solution. Okay, the fictional character Lois Lane was based on several real-life women, including Nellie Bly. Nellie Bly, um, whose real name was Elizabeth Cochran, was an investigative reporter who worked primarily for the New York World. She was known. Um, pretty well known for a piece she wrote on conditions in a mental institution in which she went undercover for 10 days as a crazy person and then the newspaper bailed her out so she didn't have to stay there forever but she convinced the doctors that she was absolutely nuts I could see Lois Lane doing that yeah yeah Um, and she was also (laughs) 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 Uh, and Nellie was also known for traveling around the world in less than 80 days based on the idea of the Jules Verne novel. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Bly's paper, The New York World, was owned by Joseph Pulitzer, um, who was a reporter and newspaper owner, and who posthumously established the Pulitzer Prize. And of course, William Allen White won Pulitzer for editorial writing in 1923 for his piece entitled To an Anxious Friend. Very so, good. Top of that. All right. <laughs> Not even hard to do because these people were amazing. So, Lois Lane's boss at the Daily Planet was Perry White. Prior to becoming editor-in-chief at The Planet, White worked at the Gotham Gazette and the Chicago Tribune. While working at the Chicago Tribune, White attended the 1921 Republican Convention, and it was there that Perry White met William Allen White, and White and White became lifelong friends. They were known for their Pulitzer Prize competition, which William White won in 1923. And Perry won in 1932 for his expose on the extraterrestrial abilities of a Kansas farm boy. Oh, my. So really? which one is the real you mean, six degrees Do you mean that Perry White and William Allen White weren't brothers vying for ownership of the Emporia Gazette? No, I don't think so. Oh, man. Yeah, I wondered so if there was a, uh, if there yeah, was a connection between connection. Perry White and William <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like, well, there is. It's a Republican <laughs> convention. <laughs> So which one is the? That's really tough. Is that tough? Yeah, it is. It really is uh, tough for me because I I want to embrace the whole fantasy element, but I I guess I have to go with uh, the Nellie Bly connection. That would be correct. Really? Yes. Oh my gosh! (laughs) Whoa, that was tough. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, Well, thank you, Chris, Nikayla. You want to issue the challenge for the next episode? Sure. For our next episode, we hike up our hoop skirts and say stuff like "fiddly dee" as we connect William Allen White to. Margaret Mitchell, author of the epic southern novel Gone with the Wind. So come back in two weeks when we connect White to Margaret Mitchell. Did White once tell his newspaper staff, as God is my witness, I shall never go hungry again? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. concludes episode 129, Forbidden Fruit. If you would like to see images of the cider bottles from Lewisburg, Kansas, go to our website, kshs.org. While there, be sure to fill out a podcast survey, or better yet, like us on Facebook by searching for Kansas Historical Society. The necessity of war often drives innovation. In the next episode, curator Blair Tarr discusses a cotton gin used in eastern Kansas during the Civil War. With the South in rebellion, a group of farmers thought Kansas could fill the cotton void. 
Find out why Cotton never became king in Kansas. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. Because I see.